I haven't been feeling well this weekend. It happens a couple times a year. And, and I'm like, Lord, all I need to do is I need about 12,000 words, not all in one service, you know, over three services. That's it. I don't, I don't need to do anything else. I just need to speak. And somehow, and it's apropos to the message we're even talking about today, but I get nailed with this uh, over the last couple of days. And last night I knew I was like, okay, I, I can't talk. And, and last night I, I knew I had to get a good night's sleep. So I took some um, uh, NyQuil because I know that knocks me out the first time. And then I was like, but I can't cough all night because I need my voice. And so I took a Mucinex PM also, oh, or two of them. <laughs> so all of you saying, because I'm like, I'm up here, I'm like, am I not feeling good? Or is it I took too much? <laughs> and I was up there in my, in my recliner up there during worship, and I mean, I'm dozing off, and uh, Josiah's doing a phenomenal job on the drums. I'm listening to hearing all that, and, and I'm like, Chris, you're a knucklehead. And so when I get to the gym this afternoon, that I'll figure out if I'm sick or it's just because I took too much stuff, and we'll go from there. Anyway, uh, we want to dive in today together. Um, God's got a powerful message for us. I really want to encourage you uh, also to be here next week. Uh, I'll be preaching a message that uh, just unusual in the sense of it's like this transition message. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're going to look at something in the Old Testament, this judge's transition from judges into Christmas. And I don't know if you know that, but there is a natural transition that occurs. So um, we're going to look at that next week. I really encourage you to be back here with us next week as we do that. So do you have a favorite underdog story? What's your favorite one? Think about a few. Maybe as you start thinking about maybe even movies that you've seen. Uh, how about Rudy? Anybody remember the story of Rudy? Raise your hand if you've heard that story. Well, that's a great underdog story. Or, or maybe the karate kid for some of you. I, I know there's a bunch of us who would say, man, Rocky Balboa. You know, that's a, that's a great underdog story, except once you get to like Rocky 5 and 6 and 7 or whatever. Some of you know one of the greatest underdog stories that took place in Lake Placid, New York during the 1980 Winter Olympics. The five-time gold medalist professional Soviet Union hockey team went up a bunch of amateur college U.S. students. And in that uh, game, what Sports Illustrated later dubbed the miracle on ice, the U.S. amateurs beat the Soviet Union professionals four to three, and they went on to win the gold medal. Today, you might be tempted to see the story we're looking at as an underdog story, a tiny army that's going to go up against a large, massive army. But our story be, today is far beyond that. It's the story of a powerless army taking on the mightiest forces in the region. And it's in their powerlessness that we see an, a mighty God. And that's what we'll see today. Last week, we learned that Israel's disobedience um, would cause uh, uh, them to go through tough and difficult times. And specifically, the Midianites came in and, and wreaked havoc on them and conquered them. And, and 
as would often be the case, the Israelites would finally call out to God. They had been disobedient. God sends, you know, disaster consequences for their decisions. They'd cry out to God, and God again had compassion on them. The cycle kind of went on for 300 years. He'd send them a judge or deliverer. And in this case, it was Gideon. At the end of Judges chapter 6, and I want you to turn to Judges chapter 7 right now. At the end of Judges chapter 6, God tells Gideon to go against the massive Midianite army. So Gideon goes and builds a 32,000-man army himself, plenty to take on this massive army and accomplish the mission at hand. Judges chapter 7 is where we'll pick up. Early in the morning, Jeru Baal, or fighter of Baal, 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 that is Gideon, that was another name for him, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, important part of the story, near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have what? Let's say these two words together. You have too many. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me and say my own strength has saved me. See, I love this verse because it reminds me of the battle that you and I face every single day of our lives. Is it going to be my strength or God's strength? Is it going to be my might and wisdom and power or am I going to be trusting in God's might and wisdom and power for my life? See, the question is, who are you going to trust and in what are you going to trust? Judges chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead, to which Gideon's like, sweet, I'm heading back to my wine press. I'm done with this. God's like, no, 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 Gideon, you're staying here. So how many of those men walked away that, that, uh, that day? 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Wow, only 10,000 left? This isn't good. What's going on here? On the other hand, 10,000 brave soldiers might be better than having, you know, an additional 20-something thousand who are afraid because they might cause havoc and cause more harm than good. Okay, 10,000 it is. We can do that. We can make that happen. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still, what's the two words? There are still too many men. So what does God do? He says, take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the How many men? With the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Think about this. God uses a random test to intentionally weaken Gideon's army and reduce it by 97%. Why? Because what is right in the eyes of God 
is not what's always right in our eyes. You see, what's right in my eyes in this story is the more troops, the better, right? The more I can get, the better. But God's thinking the exact opposite. He's thinking the fewer, the better. In other words, God's saying, I want to use you by weakening you. And that's what we need to understand this morning. When God wants to use us, he will oftentimes weaken us. He will reduce our army. So what might the reducing of your army be today? Maybe for some of you, it's a health issue. And you need to trust God more in the midst of that. You might have a job loss or a job change, and you're needing to learn that God will be there for you, and he'll be what you need in this season Maybe it's a relationship issue with a friend or maybe within the midst of your marriage and God wants to reveal some stuff to you and cause you to lean in and trust him more. Maybe you have financial issues going on and God is showing you he is the one who can provide. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that God's the one who is doing those things directly to you, but God's sovereign purpose behind them might be teaching you and I to lean into him and to press into him more than ever before, to depend on him. How is God weakening your army? So if dependence on God is the objective, then our weakness is actually an advantage, not a disadvantage. Why? Because it's in our weakness which causes us and sometimes even forces us to lean into God to press into God, to press into Jesus, because that's where we discover real power comes from, and that's always an advantage. Maybe in your circumstances right now, you have a friend, maybe a, a family member, and they failed you, and you're here this morning, and you might even be a, mit, a mess. And in the midst of that, that can cause you, maybe even force you to lean into and rely on your heavenly father. Maybe you got laid off from work. You don't know how you're going to provide. And in the midst of that, that may cause you or maybe force you to trust in God to provide for your needs more so than you ever realized. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel alone. And you're learning that it's God who wants to stick to you closer than any other. See, it's only there when you're weak and when I'm weak that we can learn those four words that can absolutely change our lives, and that is this, that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I will boast all the more gladly about my what? About my? Say it again. About my? so that Christ's power may rest on me. What does he mean? What's he talking about? Well, think about it. If the Apostle Paul were to come before us and tell us all his amazing attributes and all his amazing strengths, and he says, I want you to be like me, you guys would look at that and go, well, you're the Apostle Paul, and I can never measure up. I can never be like you. You're, you're, what you have accomplished is unattainable. You're too incredible. I can't be like you. But... Paul tells us about his weaknesses, and he tells us it's Christ's power in him 
and working through him that has helped him be who he is. And when you hear about his weaknesses, you think, geez, he's going through the same thing I'm going through. And he's no better than me. He struggles just like me. And if he struggles like me and he's accomplished that, that means I have access to what he has access to. And I can go after what he goes after. I want to encourage you, next time you're in a small group, a life group, maybe this week, that you guys would take some time, go around the room, and really share honestly about a struggle you have going on in your life right now. I'd encourage everybody to take some time this week and do that. Share an area of your life where you're weak right now. And you know you need God's help, that you need God's power in your life to overcome or to conquer or to get through or to survive or carry on. I can tell you this, if you do that as a group, it'll be one of the best groups, if not the best uh, evening you've ever had together. Why? Because everybody gets real and shares where they're weak. But it's in the midst of that weakness that together you go before God, and God's the one who can provide his power into our lives. See, it's our strengths that actually are more dangerous than our weaknesses. You ever think about that? Because in our strengths, we have the potential to think, I don't really need God. When things are going great for us, it's easy to lose sight that it's God who's blessed us, that God's provided for us. It's easy to say when things are going great, well, I conquered this, I succeeded, I figured this out, I, I, I. So sometimes God allows us to be weakened to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Maybe you're experiencing an army reduction right now. The question is, are you turning your heart? Are you turning your attention and your trust and your faith to God in this season? Are you leaning on him and his power or on your own power, on your, quote, own wisdom or on the wisdom of others? Or are you trusting and leaning on God? Hudson Taylor said, God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold, and that is a helpless dependence upon him. Well, the next thing God is trying to teach us through the reduction of Gideon's army is that God will send you and I help. God will send us salvation, not through human might, but through our humble obedience. You see, you, got, you and I are called to obey God when we're weak. Because it's in that place, that's when his power comes to us. So I ask you, just like hopefully you'll do this week in your life group, in what area or areas of your life are you weak right now? In what areas maybe are you fearful right now? It's in those areas that God's calling you to obey. Because it's in the midst of that obedience that God will move and God will act in a powerful way. We see that in the story of Gideon. As God has worked Gideon's army now down to the size that God wants it to be, and Gideon is soon going to discover his weakness would be an advantage if he would choose to simply obey. Now, I want you to keep in mind in this part of the story, Gideon must clearly be terrified by God's strategy. 
There's only 300 left. What, what's going on here, God? But what I love about God is how incredibly gracious he is. Let's look at this. Pick up in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, God says to Gideon, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. By the way, there's the first step of obedience. I want you to go down to the camp. And number two, second step of obedience, listen to what they are saying. In other words, get so close that you can actually hear them. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could do their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So here's a, an enemy soldier telling a friend a dream. He said, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, well, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. I want you to picture this scene. The Israelites are above. They have the high ground. And all the Midianite soldiers are down in the valley. The Midianite soldiers had done enough reconnaissance to know that Gideon has, you know, a, an army of 32,000 people. And they're aware of that. They're not necessarily aware that they've all gone away yet. And so these soldiers already have just a little bit of the normal type fear of getting ready to go into a battle. But then there's this dream. And as a result of that, their fear is magnified and multiplied a thousand fold. And now they're thinking, we're going to lose this battle. Verse 15. When, God, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. See, Gideon realized there's a God thing going on here. God's doing something. This isn't a human power thing. I mean, I only got 300 dudes here. He's realizing he needs to lean into and trust and press into God. And so he falls down to and worships God. Verse 15, he returned to the camp of Israel. and He called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. Those 300 soldiers must have looked at each other and gone, I think Gideon's nuts. I don't know what he's talking about. See, God encouraged Gideon here. Why? Because Gideon took a humble step of obedience by going down into the camp, by taking that risk, by going down there and then listening. And here's one of the things I love about this story. God is patient with you and I in the midst of our faith that wavers and falters. I find it comforting that God takes such time that God takes such care and patience to reassure Gideon. Maybe you're here this morning and your image of God is something where you think God's up in heaven saying, hey, if you don't have absolute confidence in me all the time, then hey, you're out. You can't be my follower. And it's not what we see here. This makes me think about the story in Mark chapter 9 where a man brings his son who is ill to Jesus and he says to him, he says, Jesus, if you are able to do something, would you have pity on my son and help him? Jesus didn't respond with, well, what do you mean if? 
What do you mean, if I can help? What do you, what do you mean, uh, if I can heal him? Don't you know what I've done and what I've been doing? What do you mean, if? What kind of faith is that? That's not what Jesus did in the story. Instead, Jesus told him, hey, I got to let you know, everything's impo- everything is possible for those who believe. The man responded in Mark 9, verse 24, and he said, well, I do believe. So can you help me with my unbelief? Now, at this point, Jesus could have said, I'll tell you what, buddy, why didn't you come back when you got this figured out? Why didn't you come back when you're ready to be all in? This is too wishy-washy for me. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus' response was he healed the boy. Listen, your doubts don't disqualify you with Jesus. Your doubts don't disqualify you with Jesus. God is patient with you and I, even when our faith falters. So listen, come to him. Come to him with your doubts. Come to him with your disbelief. Come to him with your skepticism. Come to him with your your unbelief. Come to him with your hard questions. Come to him with your uncertainties. He welcomes your hard questions. He's a big God. He can handle it. God doesn't turn away honest doubters. Ask for, his fa- ask for his help because he is patient with you and I when our faith falters. But at some point in your faith journey, even maybe you're here this morning, even if you have a weak faith, even if you have a doubting faith and, and you're full of doubt, at some point, you got to take a step. At some point, you have to take a step. You have to take a risk. That's what Gideon did by getting up and going down into that camp and getting so close that he could actually hear a conversation going on. He took the risk. But if you're here this morning and you're waiting, you're waiting on God to answer all your questions before you believe, if you're waiting on God to to, uh, uh, figure it all out for you before you obey, or before you take a risk, you're never going to get there. So take that first step. God will explain more along the way. So I ask you, what is your step? What is your risk that you are sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? That you're here, you know God's already working in you, and you know He's drawing you, He's calling you to take that step. If you're like me, you maybe look at a verse like Psalm 119 and go, okay, God, I'm willing to take that step. But I struggle with Psalm 119, verse 105 that says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. Because I'm like, God, okay, I'll take that step. But what do you mean a lamp? I want a spotlight. I want to see it all. I want it all laid out before me. Show me everything. But God says, I'm only giving you enough. Just a little lamp to take the next step. I need you to take the step. I need you to take the risk. And then I will slowly reveal more to you. Will you trust me? So Gideon now takes that step. All right, God, I'm going to trust you. So he divides the men up into three companies of 100 soldiers each. He gives each person a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. Interesting, there's no swords. Verse 19, Gideon 
and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. So this means that you have one-third of the Midianite army getting off duty, one-third of the army getting ready to go on duty, and about a third sleeping. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets. What wasn't, what wasn't in their hands? No sword. They were to blow, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. I want you to think about this. The smashing of those jars would have sounded like tens of thousands of swords being raised up, not just 300 men. Verse 21, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn, to turn on each other with their swords. Picture this, it's an incredible scene. The Israelites blow their trumpets, they smash their jars, and then all of a sudden these torches from above appear. The people in the camp are, are groggy and it's dark and they kind of look up and they see these torches up above because remember, they're in the valley. And so the Israelites, the 300 of them above, but with all these torches, it looks like there's thousands and thousands of soldiers. At the same time, a bunch of soldiers are returning back into the camp from their night watch. But you just woke up or you're just getting them ready to go onto your watch and in the midst of that, you see these soldiers coming in. You think with the, sword, with the sounds, the cracking, the torches, you think it's the enemies attacking you. So right there in the dark, the Midianite soldiers start killing each other. It's a complete rout of the Midianite army with Gideon and his 300 soldiers not even lifting a sword. In the words of Judges chapter 8, that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. You know, it's amazing. If you were here last week, you know the story of Gideon. It's amazing what God could do with a coward. It's amazing what God could do with someone so full of fear. It's amazing what God can do with so little. But I think that's the point of the story. God is the hero, not Gideon, not the 300 men. All they did was bang a bunch of pots together. That's it. But in their willingness to take that step of obedience, to take a risk, God showed up in a powerful way. And I know this, God wants to show up in your life in a powerful way. If you're willing to take a risk, to take a step of obedience, he wants to show up right now in your weakness. And I happen to know a lot of stories here at LifePoint, and there's many of you right now, you're here this morning, and you're weak, and you're struggling, and there might even be doubts. And God is saying, I want to show up. I want to give you the opportunity to lean into me, to press into me, to trust me. Take a step of obedience and watch what I will do. Watch how I will destroy the enemies that are in your life, that are happening right now, that are going on. Because it's there in the midst of your humble obedience 
that your weakness becomes a strength. God turns that weakness into a strength. I love how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, for Christ's sake, I delight in what? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am, what's the word? When I am, then I am. It's only in my weakness that I can be strong in Jesus. Andrew Murray is a South African writer and pastor. Uh, Many, many years ago, he wrote a book, Abide in Christ. And in that book, he made this statement. He said, the Christian often tries to forget his weakness. God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. The Christian wants to conquer his weakness and to be freed from it. God wants us to rest and even rejoice in it. The Christian mourns over his weakness Christ teaches his servants to say, I take pleasure in my infirmities. The Christian thinks his weaknesses are his greatest hindrance in the life and service of God. God tells us that 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 is the secret of strength and success. It is our weakness, heavily accepted and continually realized, that gives us access to the strength of him who said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Listen, one of your greatest, greatest dangers you're ever going to face is when you and I get wrapped up um, in this posture of strength and getting away from a posture of weakness. Because when you think to yourself, I have what I need. I'm good. I I believe in God, but I don't really need him that's when we tend to fall apart. You see, weakness, according to Scripture, weakness is actually a gift. Weakness is a gift. So the question this morning is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the weakness that's going on in your life? Will you lean into and press into God and turn to God? Or are you just going to try to keep doing what's right in your own eyes, in your own wisdom, and figuring it out on your own? God is calling each one of us to turn to him to be our strength in whatever weakness we have going on in our life because it's only when we're weak and we humbly obey him that's when we become strong and that's when God does a mighty work in our life.